Online, welcome to Catholic View on this Wednesday evening. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for joining me. Coming up in today's edition of Catholic View being a Wednesday, I'd like us to take a look at some health matters. And that, of course, is brought to you by Kafka. But first, I bring you up to date with your headlines this Wednesday evening. So do stay with me. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Wednesday evening, Pope Francis explains a general audience how one can have peace in the midst of worries. Portugal presents evidence for Fatima Nunn's beatification and droughts pushing food prices up sharply. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. Continuing his catechesis on Christian hope at his Wednesday general audience, Pope Francis told pilgrims that God's hope calls us to be channels of humility and simplicity for all. Lydia O'Kane reports from Vatican Radio. The hope that we have been given does not separate us from others, nor does it lead us to discredit or marginalize them. Those were Pope Francis's words at his weekly general audience in the Paul VI Hall on Wednesday as he continued his catechesis on Christian hope, dedicating his audience to the theme, Hope Does Not Disappoint. The Pope underlines that God does not have favorites and does not exclude anyone, but opens his home to all human beings, beginning with the least. Hope, the Holy Father explained, is a gift of which we are called to become channels with humility and simplicity for all. During his catechesis on drawing inspiration from St. Paul, Pope Francis said that as children we were always taught that it is not good to boast, Yet St. Paul surprises us by twice telling us to boast. L'Apostolo Paolo ci sorprende in quanto ben due volte ci esorta a vantarsi. This saint, continued the Holy Father, tells us to boast of the abundant grace we receive in Jesus Christ through the gifts of faith and love. When we do this, the Pope observed, we know God's peace which flows into our lives and relationships. According to St. Paul, Pope Francis said, afflictions too can be something to boast about. For God's peace is not the absence of fears, disappointments or suffering, he explained, but rather it reminds us that God loves us and is always with us. In remarks to Polish pilgrims on Wednesday, the Pope also recalled patrons of Europe, Saints Cyril and Methodius. Even today, he said, they remind Europe and all of us of the need to maintain the unity of faith, tradition, Christian culture and to live the gospel each day. The Vatican Press has published a short book by Cardinal Francesco Coco Palamerio, one of the cardinals who participated in the Synod on the Family. Cardinal Francesco, the president of the Pontifical Council for Legislative Texts, offers a commentary on the eighth chapter of the Pope's apostolic exhortation, Amoris Laetitia, on how to help reintegrate into the Church divorced persons who have remarried. According to the Cardinal, the Church could allow them to receive the sacraments of reconciliation and the Eucharist 
in situations where they wish to change their status according to church teachings, but are unable to do so without committing an injustice. Canonist Mauricio Gronchi, who participated in the Synod, was one of the people in charge of presenting the Cardinal's book. You have to be aware of being in sin and have the desire to change. These are the conditions it indicates. It does not say that it's a pardon for all in any case. Amoris Letizia tries to indicate possible ways for conversion, not to resolve broken marital situations. It seeks a way to offer help with the grace of God. The Cardinal proposes that each bishop commission several people in the diocese to help people in these situations in order to understand whether or not they can receive the sacraments. At the same time, they would distinguish situations where one cannot be admitted to communion, such as those knowing that they are in serious sin and in the position to change the situation, but without any intention of doing so. Also presenting the book was veteran journalist Orazio La Rocha, an expert in Vatican affairs. Vatican Radio's Linda Bodoni has more. LaRocca pointed out that Chapter 8 offers us a new perspective on how the Church views society that changes and said that it is imbued in the Pope's call for mercy and his appeal to reach out to those who are most wounded, most excluded, most in need of God's message of love and salvation. He highlighted the document's admonition to men of the Church not to condemn anyone forever and to enter into dialogue with the other. Coco Palmiero does this, La Roca said, using a simple and direct language, which is accessible to all. So much so, he continued, I will personally give copies of it to two good Catholic friends of mine who are suffering the consequences of irregular situations, but whose deep desire is to feel more included in the life of the Church. Father Gronke, who is also a consultant at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, noted that the backbone of Cardinal Coco Palmiero's book is provided by excerpts from the Apostolic Exhortation itself that have been selected, introduced, and eventually elaborated upon by the author. Coco Palmiero, he pointed out, a top Vatican canonist, has used a pastoral approach in the writing of this book, effectively breaking down any barriers that may exist between doctrine and pastoral ministry. Catholic Church officials in Portugal said on Monday that they have assembled more than 15,000 pages of testimony and documentation to support the proposed beatification of Sister Lucia, one of three shepherds' children who said the Virgin Mary appeared to them in the town of Fatima 100 years ago. The officials say the case for Sister Lucia's beatification, the first step toward canonization as a saint, will be sent to the Vatican's Congregation for the Causes of Saints in line with church procedure. The documentation was presented at a church ceremony in the convent in Coimbra, north of Lisbon, where Sister Lucia lived from 1948 until her death at age 97 in 2005. Her cousins, Francisco and Jacinta Marto, who also said they witnessed the apparitions, died at ages 9 and 11 of pneumonia. They were beatified in the year 2000. Pope Francis is to visit Fatima, a small farming town dominated by the Catholic shrine erected to honor the apparitions. The Pope visit falls on May 12th and 13th for the pilgrimage marking their centenary. He will be the fourth pontiff to visit the shrine of Our Lady of Fatima. On to African news. According to Mario Zappa Costa, an economist with the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, food prices in some Eastern African markets have almost doubled in the past 12 months because of an ongoing drought. 
In FAO's latest food price monitoring and analysis bulletin, the agency reports that local price for maize, sorghum and other cereals are near or at record levels. In areas of Ethiopia, Kenya, Somalia, South Sudan, Uganda and Tanzania. Here is Mario Zappacosta. The main reasons behind uh, the current crisis, which has a regional characteristic affecting most of the countries in Eastern Africa, is the drought. The drought that affected the southern part of the region between October and December. But in some countries, the crisis is even compounded by other factors, such as conflict and violence in South Sudan and Somalia. And what does this mean for those living in affected areas? Yeah, the major problem that we recognize is for the access to food. Prices went almost double in the last 12 months in most of the markets, prices of cereals. So most of the households that uh, do not produce their own food, they have to access markets and prices are very high. So their purchasing power is uh, at lowest level. At the same time, we realized that there is a specific problem for pastoralists because prices of livestock went down at, let's say, they are a, a third of what they were a year ago. So you can imagine that those pastoralists that have to sell their goats and livestock to buy cereals, now they are cut in a sort of trap. To give you an example with numbers, a year ago in some parts of Somalia, a pastoralist selling a goat was receiving the equivalent to buy almost 110, 120 kilos of maize. Now, for the same goat, he can buy only 30 kilos of maize. So obviously, his capacity to feed his family is curtailed by 70-80%. What are your biggest concerns regarding the information coming from this new report? The biggest concern is that currently now we are in the dry season in the area. So for pastoralists, there is no chance to recover because rains are expected to come at the end of March, early April. So from now onward, for pastoralists, the situation is expected to worsen gradually. But also the next rainy season, the weather forecasts are not so favorable. So we may face in some areas another, let's say, below average production in July, August. And this will put an additional pressure on prices and reducing the food security of the households. In some countries, we know that there is a risk of famine, namely in Somalia and South Sudan, where the drought, as we said before, is compounded by the problems related to conflict and insecurity. Three UN rights experts are urging the authorities in Kenya to end the crackdown on rights groups, which they say has intensified in the lead-up to elections slated for August. Their appeal comes a month after the country's interior minister called for the closure of NGOs deemed not properly licensed. DNPEN reports from UN News. A government circular had alleged that the groups had been involved in nefarious activities, saying they posed a threat to national security, including money laundering, diversion of donor aid and financing terrorism. The UN experts, known as Special Rapporteurs, said the crackdown appears to be targeting civil society groups which challenge governmental policies, educate voters, investigate human rights abuses, and uncover corruption. These issues are extremely important in a democracy, they stated, adding that attempting to shut down the debate taking place in the civic space threatens to irreparably taint the legitimacy of the upcoming elections. 
The UN Human Rights Office says more than 100 people have been killed over the past few days in clashes between the army and a local militia in the Democratic Republic of Congo's Kasai Central Province. The fighting took place between February 9th and 13th in the territory of Dibaya. Vatican Radio Peter Kenny reports from Geneva. The Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights is deeply concerned at reports that soldiers in the Democratic Republic of the Congo killed at least 101 people during clashes with members of a local militia during five days. The clashes are reported to have taken place in the territory of Dibaya in Kasai Central Province between the armed forces known as the FARDC and members of the Kamuina Nsapu militia loyal to a local chief killed by the army on the 12th of August last year. Much of the latest violence is said to have happened in and around the town of Chimbulu. The rights office cites several sources saying soldiers opened fire indiscriminately with machine guns when they saw the militia fighters armed mainly with machetes and spears. UNHCHR spokesperson Liz Throssel said about 39 women were reportedly caught in the firing and are among the dead. If confirmed, the information would suggest disproportionate use of force by the soldiers. We condemn any excessive use of force and call on the FARDC soldiers to abide by acceptable standards of national law and international human rights law in their responses, in particular to exercise restraint and to use force only when necessary and proportionate to the threat, to minimize damage and injury and to respect and preserve human lives. We urge the military commanders to reinforce this message with their troops. Throttle said the United Nations is seeking to verify the exact number of victims and is calling for a full and independent investigation into this latest violence in the DRC. In other news, journalists need to have more understanding of the complexities of poverty, and the best way to do this is to talk to those affected by it. That was the conclusion of an international panel of journalists and innovation experts who met for a discussion at UN headquarters organized by the UN Department of Economic and Social Affairs. Following the discussion, Lucy Dean from UN News spoke to some of those taking part about covering poverty better. Journalists have a responsibility to report on poverty, even though those stories might not go viral. That's according to Karaman Halaselik, the United Nations and New York Bureau Chief for TRT, Turkey's national public broadcaster. Mr. Halaselik says that even if stories about poverty aren't widely read, Journalists should cover them so that eventually those stories do become a larger part of the public discourse. When we look at the world as journalists, we definitely see a place where we can kind of pick and choose a lot of stories. But there is another world out there that has expectations from us to cover their issues, to bring their issues to wider community, to decision makers, to political power places. And I think we can do that. I think we have the power to do it. But we need to use that power and we need to use that power right. This view is echoed by Lyndall Rollins, UN Bureau Chief at Interpress Service, a development news service with local reporters covering Latin America, Africa and Asia. She says journalists need to make an effort to understand systems of poverty by talking to those affected and not just experts with little lived experience. 
Often, unfortunately, as journalists, perhaps for us, maybe um, it's not so much a mistake, but maybe it's just easier to find experts to comment on the issues related to poverty who are not actually the people who we're, we're talking about. So maybe that's how we frame our coverage. But we should definitely, I think, think about people who are affected by poverty, which in many different ways, whether it's by disability or by whether they're indigenous people or whether by their ethnicity, we should think about them as being the experts on talking about the issues that affect them first. What do we miss when we do just take this approach, when we don't actually talk to the people? What stories are we missing? We can miss out on some of the the complexities of poverty and we can also miss out on um, realising that poverty is actually... It's um, a man-made issue. It's not natural at all. Perhaps as journalists, we often don't have the time to consider poverty as a systemic issue. So we may not have the ability to turn the lens back on on ourselves or on the systems that we're a part of and to work out what is actually causing poverty in the first place. Ms Rowlands added that reporters need to approach poverty as a political and economic issue and should seek to understand the factors that contribute to it. And finally, back home, the South African Weather Service says it expects tropical cyclone Dineo to move into parts of KwaZulu-Natal, Mpumalanga and Limpopo from Thursday evening. Forecasters warn the impact of the storm will be felt on Friday with heavy rainfall, flooding and strong winds. Residents living near the Kruger National Park and low-lying surrounding areas have been advised to be vigilant. Forecaster Dipuo Twawana says they are working with disaster management to keep watch over areas which will be heavily affected. And according to the Joint Typhoon Warning Center, tropical cyclone Dineo has continued to strengthen over the warm waters of the Mozambique Channel, and it will make landfall over the eastern coast of Mozambique near Nyambani this evening, just before 11 p.m. at hurricane force. Emergency services authorities in Mozambique are urging residents of Gaza and Inyambani provinces to batten down the hatches. And those were your headlines this Wednesday evening. You are listening to Catholic View right here on Radio Veritas, 576am, otherwise on 870DSTV Audio Bouquet. And I'm Sheila Pirsch. Coming up next, we bring you our health feature brought to you by Kafka. The 25th World Day of the Sick, observed annually on February 11 on the Feast Day of Our Lady of Lourdes, was celebrated throughout the world in different ways. Here in Johannesburg, Kafka, the Roman Catholic Network of Healthcare Institutions and Healthcare Providers in South Africa, organized a healing mass at Rivonia Catholic Church, which is also called Our Lady of Lourdes. I spoke to Kafka liaison officer Elvira Robeck about the event and also about the initiative to promote organ donation. Thanks for having us back, Sheila. No, it was really, really lovely. Father Peter Doherty at the Ravonia Catholic Church did a, a lovely Mass and a lovely blessing afterwards. And I think everybody that attended really um, was blessed um, at the end. So it was lovely. It was a very nice Mass. And how well attended was it? It was very well attended. I think there were visitors from other, uh, other parishes as well that came through. Um, there were some 
people they can that you could clearly see that they were ill, you know, um, with walking sticks, um, wheelchairs and stuff like that. And then there are obviously other people that are maybe silently suffering, you know, uh, that you don't know about. But there were quite a lot of people that came. So they blessing. So it was lovely. Now, you mentioned that amongst the speakers or amongst the participants at that celebration was somebody that spoke to you guys about being an organ donor. Yes, so after the Mass, um, Casper had a little table there with some pamphlets and we were available to answer any questions. And one of the parishioners came up and he said, well, what is the Catholic Church doing with regards to organ donation? Because his daughter was actually a recipient of a double lung transplant, which saved her life. So he's obviously very pro-organ donation, and he wants to know, you know, within the Catholic Church, what are we, we doing about it? And I thought that would be great to sort of um, talk about it again. I know last year sometime we spoke about organ donation, and I think it's just, it is a very, very important um, decision that a lot of people need to make. You know, anybody that's healthy under the age of 70 is an ideal candidate for organ donation. And, you know, when you pass away from natural causes, um, your your body could save seven other people. And I think it's definitely something to look at. I mean, that's amazing. What better, you know, gift is there than um, the gift of life? And in fact, Pope Benedict said, the act of love which is expressed with the gift of one's own is the genuine testament of charity that knows how to look beyond death and so that life always wins. And I think that's so true. And in fact, Pope Benedict himself is an organ donor. So he's living the words that he's speaking as well. All right, but now when you talk about being an organ donor, it's quite a complex issue or rather subject, especially amongst mm. the African culture, as you may yes. know. I mean, yes. some African people don't feel comfortable in having parts of their bodies removed. Some African people believe mm. in the, in you know, the, the afterlife and believe in the world of ancestors. So if you are looking at talking about being an organ donor, I think a lot more of, uh, of dialogue needs to be done and understand people's cultures. So there are different traditions, different cultures just here in South Africa alone. Yes, it is very true. A lot of the, the cultures do believe that if anybody passed, you know, is removed, you're not going to sort of go into the, the afterlife. And I do believe that um, uh, organizations, for example, like the Organ Donor Nation um, Foundation of South Africa, need to do a lot of um, material that we can use to, to educate, the, you know, the, the communities um, with, with regards to this. It is a very touchy subject. And I think, you know, especially from a Catholic point of view, um, we're sort of saying, well, being a Catholic, when you pass away, your soul goes, you know, your soul leaves your body and goes up to heaven. And that's the important part. Um, you know, the organs within your body, all they do is sort of decompose and you don't need them anymore. Um, so we're saying, let's give them out. And I think we need to educate people and train people saying that it's actually the spirit and it's the soul within you that's the, the important part to get you to, to heaven and not the actual organs. And we need to do a lot of research, or a lot more research, and we need to, you know, as I say, with the, the Organ Foundation, with the government, with um, organizations like CAFCA, we need to really put together a document that can actually explain this to the communities that do believe that you need to die with all your organs in place. So in other words, this uh, will also mean that it's going to be a talk about Christianity, in, in our case, Catholics, as well mm. as tradition. 
So it's uh, it's quite a complex uh, conversation here that will be taking place. Or, and uh, how does Katka feel about this? How keen are you into going into these dialogues with the Catholic community in your region? Oh, we're very keen. Um, just speaking with, for example, our director Yvonne in the office and, you know, other members of the staff, um, most of us are very keen on organ donation. And I think um, we sort of see the the great gift that you can give about being an organ donor. And we really want to look at um, how we can, as a team, go into the communities and spread this. So, for example, we have our um, training manager, Elsa. Um, she goes and does public dialogues with communities to find out what their needs are, what they're training on. And I think in these sort of dialogues that she has, she can introduce things like organ donation. How can we approach your community? Because everything you know, we can say to them, how can we approach your community and how can we get them to become organ donors? How would be the best way to educate your community on organ donation and others? And from there, we can then um, start drawing up documents and doing more training about it. But definitely, as you said, from Catholic's point of view, it will be from a very Catholic point of view, um, but obviously trying to understand the points of view as well. And how soon are you likely to embark on this journey? As soon as possible. Um, as I said, we've got our um, conference coming up now in March. Um, it's hopefully one of the things we can sort of discuss around because we do have discussions there um, at the conference, sort of start getting our feelers out, what can we do, how can we do it, what is the best way to do it, and from there hopefully do something to, to go forward with it. Um, I'm also hoping in the next couple of weeks to contact the Organ, Donation, uh, Organ Foundation of South Africa and... Um, seeing what, how they can help us um, put together some materials for the communities as well. So from my side, it will be quite soon, and from the sort of organization side, from sort of March onwards. Fantastic. Elvira, as usual, it's always great talking to you. I look forward to another chat next week. And I too, I look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks so much for having us again, Sheila. And that was Kafka Liaison Officer Elvira Robek speaking to us about the importance of becoming an organ donor. And that brings me up to time. This has been your Wednesday's edition of Catholic View. Thank you so much for listening. Remember that this program is produced and presented by Shayla Pirsch for Radio Veritas. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Shayla Pirsch.